others, and then we have our clubhouse. And we have Mariah, are you? Yep, Mariah's over this side, so that's our preschool age. Um, there for our preschool age, uh, little fellas and little children, head out that door with uh, Mariah, and obviously um, to take an adult or go with them, someone can go with them, otherwise Mariah might be stuck with 35 little kids she doesn't know what to do with. Um, then we're going to ask Sarah to come up the front and... Um, present for us the next topic. Hey, let me just pray for you once again, Sarah, as we, um, as we head out, as, as, as they head out and as you start up. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, all the different people in the different ministries uh, that are make, make our refreshed community what it is. And uh, Lord, we're not perfect, but, but Lord, we're here just to glorify you. And I just pray for Sarah particularly as she uses your words, or pray for your words, as she uses your words that we might be changed uh, through your spirit and, and her words combined. Amen. Amen. I'm just going to make a bit of space because I'm fingers crossed hoping that there's some really brave people that will help me later. So if you're a person that needs to psych themselves up, that's okay, leave that one. You've had warning, start psyching yourself up. Whoa, there's a hole there. Well, first, before I do anything else, I would love to acknowledge a few people this morning. First being... Amity and her mum. How good were scones, right? That's worth a cheer. And I'd, I'd like to declare that my new gluten-free life is okay because it can be made, a gluten-free scone. That was really nice. So thank you. We really appreciate that. Um, and the second is I would love to congratulate our Year 12 students. Give them a big round of applause. Exams are over. And that's exciting. So now... A bit of fun this week, um, one last week, and then some really fancy clothes on Thursday evening. So we are really excited for you guys to see what your future holds and know that your church has been and will continue to pray for you as you move on in the next journey. Now, when I think back to school for me, that was, you know, just a little while ago, um, I'm reminded of one of my favourite teachers. She actually, I think I've spoken about her before. She wasn't actually my teacher. She was the infant's teacher. I was at Gunnedah Christian School, a really small little school that only had two classrooms. And I was in the year um, four, five and six room with, I think I did preach about, you know, I can't remember his name, but I called him Bucky Beaver. Anyway, let's go with Mr. Bucky Beaver. But Miss Noon taught the, um, the younger grades and she was just this... This beautiful, sweet lady, and she introduced me to something that in, from year five onwards became the, like an absolute love in my life. She came into our classroom, into the older kids' classroom, and said, I would love to ask a number of you people to volunteer for something. And I'm like, oh, okay, I wonder what that something is. And this will like... If you know what I'm talking about, then you're either roughly my age or maybe even slightly older, Roger Wareham, um, or younger maybe. <laughs> but um, She introduced us to Salty the Singing Songbook. Put your hand up if you know what I mean when you say Salty the Singing Songbook. Yes. And I showed, I'm going to show you a clip in a minute, and I, Joshy walked out as I was downloading it, and he's like, he saw the songbook, like a live stage thing of it, and he's like, Oh, what is that? 
that is weird, mum. That's creepy. Don't show that tomorrow. I'm like, what? That's what it was. So I got to Adulty the Singing Songbook, and I was so excited because I got to be one of, you know, the characters that had lots of lines, and I also had a soul, well, like a song to sing um, with the older gum in it. We got lost, and uh, this song is the one that I had to sing. Let's see if it comes on. This is not me, by the way, if you can see it. She's a lot cuter than I was, I feel. But I remember being up the front in this little tiny church and having this part, just thinking, oh my goodness, I've got such a big role to play. Like, I get to play this big, really important role. And look, to be honest, if you've seen the whole play, it's only a little tiny kind of side note, but to me, it was something big. And from that moment, I then fell in love with theatre. So that, that's the kind of boy that I had to, you know, um, hug at the end. You know, those moments where it's kind of awkward, but maybe not quite so awkward at the same time. You're, not, you, you're kind of at the age where you're not quite sure what it is. But um, from then on, I loved theatre and I did drama, was my favourite subject all the way through high school. And during my senior years, I joined my town's um, theatre company and just loved it. And the thing that I loved about it was just having the freedom to just learn lots of skills, do something different. But you know how when you find something that you love, you usually kind of have a nemesis that, you know, often it was Rebecca. I can't even remember her last name. I actually, like, if you go back to my sermon, through my sermon, I wonder how many times I say I can't remember their name. I do remember most of your <laughs> Oh, I need to get better at that. But Rebecca, it was her and I during year 11 and 12 that always fought for the main role. Why would you fight for the main role? You fight for the main role because you get most time in the spotlight. <laughs> you get the most lines. You get the most opportunity to really shine and quite potentially outshine the Rebeccas of the world beside you. That's why we, you know, want the main character. That's why some people, not everyone, want the main role. And the thing is, for me, when you're in a large theatre company, when you are the main character, it doesn't just require you to learn your own lines, but you understand as you as the main character, you have to have the ability to add, to watch the players around you and lead them back to the line they need to say or set those people back on track, which requires you to know the whole play every single person's line so that when they're like off and there's this awkward pause on the stage, you know exactly who's meant to say what and you can lead them to that by adding in a line or two or asking them a question. You can get them back on track. That's, that's the kind of pressure that you have when you are the main character. But it seems to me like the more that I look around our world, and you only have to just have a little quick flick through TikTok or social media, that you see there are lots of people in this world that every day are actively manufacturing themselves in the spotlight. I don't think it's just young teenage drama students that want themselves to be the centre and the focus 
And in particular, because of this phenomenon, and look, don't, don't make eye contact with anyone in the next moment, all right? Don't make eye contact with anyone, no rolling, no jabbing, no like, mm-hmm. But I think, I bet that most of you have come across someone that thinks they are the centre of the universe. And when their mood, I said, no looking, and when their mood changes and when their attitude changes, there's just this expectation that the whole world shifts and rotates around them. So much so, this is so common, that it now has its main character syndrome or MCE, main character energy. So this is what main character syndrome looks like. It's a tendency among people to view themselves as the lead character in their own story. This self-centered and self-absorbed position leads them to view everyone else around them as supporting actors. It's hard for them to take direction as they view their own storylines as the most important. And the list kind of goes on. They don't collaborate with people well. There's, and this next slide, this is the impact that researchers have recorded. These are just like the top three. It cre can create a profoundly negative impact on relationships. So what once was, you know, positive, when someone kind of adapts this whole philosophy that I'm in the center of the universe, everything should revolve around me, then it greatly impacts relationships. There's a tendency to create environments ripe with conflict, excessive competition, and reduced collaboration. And it can create a culture of distrust and distraction. We see it around us. It doesn't sound just bad for influences. It doesn't sound just bad for teenagers. This is bad news for marriages, for families, for workplaces, for staff rooms, for offices, for classrooms. When we think the world revolves around us, is that a question? And I think, too, and like when we come across the passage, and what I love about the story today is that it's a story that you'll know. And then when you unpack that, and this, um, this week I've been going through Mark, and, you know, there's the story of faith like a mustard seed, and all of those, you know, all of those stories that we've said, you know, that we know that you've mentioned, there is this emphasis on it's something bigger. There's something bigger than just you in this moment. And even when Jesus left and, you know, gave charge to his disciples, he didn't just go, you know, and, you know, commissioned them as apostles, now teachers. He didn't just say, okay, now you're, it, you're the 12, you know, like that's it. 
you know, I, the, all the focus is on you. The stage is yours. I'm leaving now. Come on. You just play. Your... No, it was, we, we were included in that same commission. It wasn't just about just that select few. And there's this recurring theme of as we go through scripture where it's so important for us to take the focus off. It's not about what I'm doing. It's not about what I'm bringing to the table. And I love the part in this story that we're going to get to. But before we get to that, I want to, because it's such a familiar story, I want to play it out like we've been talking about drama. So here's where you people that have psyched yourself up for the last five minutes um, get to consider the opportunity that is before you. But first, before I do that, let me wind the clock back. If you weren't here last week when Pastor Sharon was speaking, she introduced us to a woman. She also talked about this main character. She introduced us to a woman called Jehosheba, and she is a, a not very well known. There's not a whole lot about her in the Bible. But you, um, Sharon, can anyone remember? Because I'd love to tell her if you can remember the acronym that was last week. Anyone? Yes? QCO. And what did QCO stand for? Quiet, courageous obedience. So last week we talked about when you allow God to become the main character in the story of your life, it means wherever you are planted in whatever situation it is, what he calls you to do might be different. You, it won't always be a limelight. It, you know, there's so many different ways that God calls us to impact other people in this world. And in this particular instance, with Jehosheba, it was quiet, courageous obedience and her faithfulness to God's calling in a very little, little way that really didn't seem that significant actually saved the line of David that the Messiah would come from. When we're willing to go, God, what you want for our lives is what I want to put on center stage, not my desires, not my role, then we can do amazing things. And that's what she did, quiet, courageous obedience. Today is a different story, but we're going to go to Luke 17. So if you've got your Bible, open up to Luke 17. However, if you are feeling so brave, I need 11 people to come and help me on stage. Who is going to be the first? Like, there's a lot of people in this section right here that could very well be with me. But anywhere, I need 11. I need you to be super brave. I feel like Simon should be one of the 11. Like, <laughs> yeah, come on, come on. Bring your whole row. All right. I need 11 people. I need 11 people to come up the front. Who is it going to be? I task Simon with the, um, with the bringing of people. All right, here we go. Come on, there's got to be some people. Here they go. If you could make a conga line as you come up, Simon, I'd really appreciate it. All right, one, two, three. We need more. Who else is willing to get on board? Come on. Come on. Come on. All right, who else? You can just start choosing people and they'll, they'll come down. Grady? Someone said Grady? Where is Grady? Grady, you bring a few mates down with you. 
Uh, in Price. fact, Price. you could Price. you Price. could probably bring your dad, you Grady. Converge. <laughs> you don't get the if you don't come, Bryce. Uh, no, actually, Nick, we can on. go all, but it doesn't matter. All right, let's go. <laughs> All right, oh, come on, come on, there can be more. Luke, Luke, did you say here? <laughs> One, two, three, four, five, six. Come on, seven, yes. Eight, yes. Oh, my goodness. Come on, a couple more, a couple more. Who's going to, yay, nine. One more. All right. <laughs> One more. Yay, come on, Finley. You're amazing. We're not going to fight tonight. <laughs> All right, here we go. Now, here's what's going to happen. Um, I am going a great risk at this point in time. Oh, do I? So if you can just... It's my prom night. All right, do we need one more? Yes? All right, so you can come over, Simon. You come over there. I told you it was a risk. All right, now, um, you guys, can you just take one of these each, then pass it along, and then I need some... One more, Nick. Come on. <laughs> Nick, you've got to check All right, I can be the other one if you, if you need one more. All right, here we go. It's an easy story. It's an easy... You don't have to say anything. All right, so what I need is for you to wrap this around you, and if you, like, not you, Helen, you don't have to do this, but if you gentlemen, could you just kind of mess your hair a little bit? Because, I mean, I mean, we just want to stay biblically true to the story. <laughs> All right, now, your bandage kind of needs to come around you, but also just over your mouth. So if you can just kind of have it up over your mouth. Um, yes, that's it. Yes, you're correct. Okay, all right. <laughs> all right, so can you all come over here? You stay there, Simon, and you guys come over here. And we're opening up to Luke 17. All right, here we go. All of you guys over there, right? Here we go. Actually, you're, kind of just, you're looking a bit too fabulous. You need to just look a bit disheveled. Uh, much better. Okay. All right. So here we go. We <laughs> mess your hair up. It's biblical that like that. Okay. Um, we'll, we'll actually talk about it later, but um, yeah, they, they had to mess their hair. So obviously we've got the 10 lepers here. All right. And when, <laughs> and when you, <laughs> the sun's really, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I told you it was a risk. Okay. Do I have... No, all right, we won't go there. Okay, number 11, chapter 17, number 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, now, I, I knew it would be a risk to try and get 11, so I didn't try and get 12 disciples, okay? So be lucky, be thankful, so you, you've got imaginary friends behind you. Okay, now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee, and he was going into a village... As he was going into a village, 10 men, my apologies, Helen, had, who had leprosy met him. Now they stood a great a distance away and called out to him in a loud voice, 
Jesus, master, have pity on me. Or some versions will say, Jesus, master, have mercy on me. So, if, you know, if there's some loud ones among you. Yay, Jesus, just have mercy on me. Oh, wow, that's good. Okay, like double take. Like, <laughs> when he saw them, this, <laughs> this is what he said to them. Do you need glasses or can you read this? It's large print. I need glasses. Uh, okay. Go show yourselves to the priest. Go show yourselves to the priest. And so they went. Uh, yeah, you're going to have to go that way. Walk that way. The priest is out the back. Uh, maybe Clayton's the priest up there. All right. So they went to the police to be cleansed. One of them... <gasps> you. Yes. Stay, 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 stay. Yeah. It was Joffrey the leper. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, like, oh my goodness, when he saw that he was healed, <laughs> he threw him, uh, he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet. I'd love to see you throw yourself, actually. If it were, I would like to stay biblically correct. So if you could throw yourself. <laughs> okay. Threw himself. <laughs> okay. Threw himself at Jesus' feet. Okay. You can stand up now. No. He said... Then Jesus said, oh, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And Luke throws in this little bomb here and says, and he was a Samaritan. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? We'll talk about that again. Then he said to him, rise... Oh, actually, sorry, you weren't meant to be risen then. <laughs> My apologies. Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. And in some other, it, like in some other languages and presume, like they can presume in the Greek, it wasn't just rise, your faith has made you well. It's rise, your faith has saved. Bring lepers. No, bring the lepers over. So no, no. Ange, come and get him, please. <laughs> All right. This story is a story so many of you have, have read or have heard. You know, if you want to keep your leper things as a um, souvenir, you can. But the whole, even the whole leprosy thing, I think we, we don't necessarily understand the true detail of what went into and you know, the kind of condition that these guys were in. So we're going to head through this passage, verse by verse, unpacking it. And what does it have to do with main character syndrome or main character energy? So let's go. We're going Luke 17 and verse 11. And it says, uh, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee through a vicinity where there was tension. Last week, Sharon put on stage a visual of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. What happened to that northern kingdom is that it was conquered. The Assyrians came in and exiled everyone out. And eventually, some Jews came there and also some Gentiles, and a new kind of mixed race happened, and they were called the Samaritans. It was actually named Samaria 
because of the capital. So that's why it was renamed. The, the northern kingdom was renamed Samaria. So it was this now kingdom of people that were kind of racially mixed, religiously mixed, but... At the time, predominantly when this story was taking place, even though they were kind of Jew and Gentile marriages and the Jewish religion at that time. So, yes, Jew and Samaritan poles apart, but not so different. They actually, some of the differences were the Samaritans only believed in the first five books that we now know of the Bible, and they had their own temple that they... Uh, built on Mount Gerzim because they believed that that was the true place for the temple. So he's walking through a town, uh, a region, sorry, where there's a bit of tension between its people. And some commentators say it's a bit odd. Why is he walking through there? Did he need to? Is it just trying to make a point? But it doesn't really matter. We just know that he was there. Luke doesn't actually say where this miracle took place. There's no name in the next verse. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. The whole leprosy in the Bible is not necessarily defined how we would define leprosy today. Leprosy in biblical times was just a collective term for any skin condition that people weren't sure of. It, yes, it includes the modern day leprosy, but it also included things such as psoriasis and other skin conditions. And because they didn't have the medical advancement that we have, there was this well, we're not sure. We don't know if it's contagious and deadly or fine and unharmful. So there was just this big lump. Let anyone that's got anything on their skin, let's lump it together and kind of deem it unclean. The priest will have to do some checks. And, you know, if it's really bad, then... Well, this is how it goes. If you go to Leviticus 13, it says, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes. The lepers wore torn clothes. They must let their hair be unkept. So this is coming from the laws in Leviticus. They must cover the low, lower part of their face and they must cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone and they must live outside camp. So, you know, you, you have to wear torn clothes, you have to have mess, like a bad hair life until you're, you're cured of this disease and half your face is covered and you have to just give this constant warning, staying away from people and a constant warning of going, no, hang on, I'm unclean, don't come near me. But it's not strange because of the setting it, that he said in our, it's not strange that we see a, a bunch of Jewish lepers and one um, Samarian, like one Samaritan. So we see, actually, it's not so weird that there's one there because, you know what? Would you choose to live by yourself or would you choose to live with other people that have the same affliction? Have you, you know, we've heard that saying that misery loves company. Like, why would you want to be on your own? So they band together. 
as a group of people where their usual racial tension would forbid that to be together. But in their pain and in the, you know, the, the torture of what is going on in their bodies, they stay together. In verse 13, they cry out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us or have mercy on us. The lepers come as close as they can to Jesus without kind of breaking that distance rule that they know they need to keep, and they start crying out. But they don't cry out, out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. So we notice they recognize who he is. And we can only assume that when they say, have mercy on us, have pity on us, they're connecting the two together and they're wanting to be healed. And they believe that this Jesus can heal them. And then the next verse. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, this is in contrast to a story that is recorded earlier where Jesus comes across a leper and not only does he close the distance between the two, but he touches him as he healed him. It doesn't happen here. In fact, Jesus doesn't even mention any words that say, you're healed, like, check your skin, it's all G. He doesn't say any of that. All that he says is, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, at some point along that journey, they realized, but they left following that command while they were still sick. When Jesus noticed them, he came to a point where he looked at them and I think he kind of just went, okay, they're calling out my name. Like, let's do this. And the thing about sending them to the priest is that the priest kind of acted like a health inspector. Like if you wanted to go back to work and you had some time off, you need to just book in, um, not to your GP, but to your priest, and get a little health check, and he would be the one that declares that you could go back. In fact, if we carry on with Leviticus 13, it says, um, Lord, this is when, when God was asking Moses to set up this system. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when anyone has a swelling or a rash or a shiny spot, I feel like, on their skin that may be a defiling skin disease, they must be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons who is a priest. The priest is to examine the sore on the skin and if the hair let me get this right, in the sore has turned white and the sore appears to be more than skin deep, it is a defiling skin disease. When the priest examines that person, he shall pronounce them ceremonially unclean. Now, I feel like nowadays if you were to diagnose a skin defiling disease, you would probably need a little bit more qualifications than just going What's the hair like? But that is what Jesus laid out for them. Jesus seems to be at this time when he tells them to go and show the priest, putting their faith to the test, seeing if they come, show us mercy. And up until this time in the story, they're all the same. All 10 lepers are exactly the same. They're all affected with a skin disease. They were all determined to do something about it. 
All of them had heard about Jesus and believed that he could help. They all cried out to him. All appealed to Jesus and acknowledged him as a master or in some translations, a rabbi. All, in obedience to Christ's demand, proceeded to the priests and all were healed along the way. Only one difference. And when that one leper realized and saw what was physically going on in his body as he ran away, it awoke a feeling in him that moved him to change direction, to run towards Jesus instead. He immediately turned back and glorified God, praising him for his marvelous cure. He also fell down at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He publicly acknowledged him who bestowed the blessing upon him. This leper, this Samaritan leper, recognized in Jesus God's representative and the outpouring of God's love through Jesus. One of them saw that he was healed. He came running back and praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. He ran back to Jesus and acted in humility and thanked him for what he'd done. And then Luke adds this section, this little little side note that says he was a Samaritan, as if to say, ha, huh, What do you know? Like a Samaritan, of all of the people that would come back, you would think it would be the Jews. Like, you know, the healer was one of them, they're one of them, like, you know, they're tight. Like, you would think that it would be them that would come back. And the word that they use is a foreigner. This foreigner, a man who didn't even belong to the, to, the, to the group, to the race, to the people that he had seeked to acknowledge and ask for help. And what we see all the way through a lot of these stories, it is the person that is struggling. It's the person that's hurting. It's the person that's the outcast and the sinner that often responds so readily. Like the Greek that's translated here as foreigner is the same word that is used in a statement that is carved into the temple in Jerusalem. And this, this statement just goes to show you how separate these Samaritans were from the Jews. In the temple, it says this. Uh, Hang on, now I've lost... All right, it says this. So it's an inscription in Greek, and it says, Let no man of another nation, a foreigner, enter inside the barrier and the fence around the temple. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame that his death 
follow, scripted in the Jewish temple. And so this Samaritan knows absolutely that even if he was to go and worship in Jerusalem, he would only be allowed in the outer courts, the Gentile court. He wouldn't be allowed to go in any further. What God had on offer so far had not been available to them. But here we see in this moment, Jesus making a really big statement that his salvation was not just for the Jews, that there was more people to be included in this space. Jesus said, we're not 10 cleansed? Like, where's the other nine? What, what happened here? Like, I know they were healed and they obviously all had faith. Where, where are the others? Why didn't they come and I feel like the Samaritans there like going, uh, you know, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say on the way when he realized, did he stop the other Jews and go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. This is amazing. We all should go back. Did he try and convince the others? We don't know. Did the others, and then we can go, like, we don't know what happened. All we know is that this one man was moved because God had changed his life through this interaction with Jesus. I think Jesus showed his disappointment in these statements. We're not more. Where are the other nine? What's going on here? He encouraged the man. He talked to him about his faith. He says, has no one else returned? He's talking to his disciples at this time. Has no one else returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? This same word that was engraved in the temple in Jerusalem to say these people really are not worthy of taking part in what we have here. And then Jesus encourages him and says to him, rise and go for your faith has made you well. And that made you well section in the original text is a verb. It's something that happens. And it's possible that we can take that meaning to go, it's not just, well, you're better, your skin's all good. Like, you know, you don't need to, you can actually comb your hair now and go and live with your family. It's more than that. It's And, and particularly Luke is emphasizing as an evangelist for Jesus, Luke is saying, hey, he got more in this moment. Not only was his physical body cleansed, but he was made whole. He was made right. He became part of the kingdom of God. The leper had been healed from his leprosy, but he also gained entry into the kingdom of God. Gratitude for this leper is what brought him back from what had happened to the who made stuff happen. And so often you and I get caught up and mixed up in the whatevers that is going on in our lives that we sometimes lose focus and that says, I want to be the main character in your story. I know you sit in your room or on your phone as you look, you're creating multiple narratives for your life. And you know, they're probably all amazing, but I might have something different for you. If you allow me and, and what I want for you, if you allow me to be at the center of your world, and when you follow what I've asked you to, to do, if you kind of shift with me, then amazing things can happen when he is the main 
character. But so often, that's really hard. Now, this, is a long, this, this was a sermon for coming up and um, doing that drama, but I need you to just brace yourself now, ready, for a dad joke because I think it fits. And I want you to remember what today was about by this dad joke. And if your dad is not here, what a gift I am giving you that you can go away and give it to your father. All right. I got told that there's no such thing as a lame dad joke, that like lame and dad jokes don't go in the same sentence. So, you know, I believe it. All right. A large dog walks in to a butcher's shop, has a purse in its mouth, sits down in front of the counter and the butcher just like, oh, hello, would you like to buy something? Woof, the dog responds. is like, oh, okay, what would you like to buy today, little dog? Would you like to buy liver? Would you like to buy sausages? Would you like to buy steak? Woof, the dog interrupts his list. Steak it is then, okay. Would you like one kilo, two kilos, half a kilo, one and a half kilos? Woof, the dog interrupts. So the butcher measures out his one and a half kilos of steak, puts it in the bag, finds the appropriate money in the purse and hands it back to Cherie. He's like, Did anyone else see that? Like, that's a bit remarkable. So he follows the dog because he's like, what is this kind of dog? What? Who does this? So he follows the dog just a little bit behind, and the dog enters an apartment building. It makes its way to the third floor and stops in front of a door and starts scratching. So the butcher just hangs back a little bit to see what is going on, and then the scratching starts, and all of a sudden, the door opens, a man comes out and starts screaming at this dog. And the butcher is like, what? He goes over to the man and interrupts and says, oh my goodness, stop your shouting, stop your yelling. Like, this is the most amazing dog I've seen. Like, you should be so grateful. He's just incredible. And the guy says, amazing, incredible, grateful. This is like the fifth time this week he's forgotten his keys. I think that was more than a pity laugh. But isn't that so true of our lives? Isn't that so true of how we behave? That we can be so caught up in the what's that are going on in our life that we miss God at work, that we miss the miracle that is right on our doorstep, that we allow that whatever's happening to us, whatever narrative we have made in our mind become the main event We ourselves, our priorities, our thoughts are center stage that we miss what God wants to do in our lives. And isn't it true that in the story we've just read, nine lepers, previous lepers, missed a beautiful teaching that God shared with that one leper about who enters into the kingdom of God? He shared that they didn't come back. So last week, Sharon talked about a main event. How do you, you know, when you're not the main event, sometimes what can you do? Sometimes quiet, courageous obedience is what God's calling us. It might not be your style. It might not be what you had wanted. But sometimes that's what God calls us to do. And today, if you want to combat 
You know, when that kind of self-importance creeps into your life and you want to turn the focus back onto Jesus, gratitude, thankfulness, coming back to Jesus and recognizing what he gave to you and how he helped you is another strategy that we can use to make sure that we keep ourselves to be the one that is focused on and whose attention is gained. We have the ability and the tendency to do that. So my challenge to you this week is, for the next seven days, there are, if you go home this afternoon, you look on your phone, your app store or your play store, there are hundreds of gratitude apps spaces where you can write it. If you're like a write-it-down book person, go to Kmart. They have fully laid out gratitude journals. They're beautiful. Or you're on a paper, or you want to ring a friend, or you want to email someone, or you want to write like, you know, a prize-winning book, which has been written about a man that wrote 365 letters of gratefulness in a year, one for every day of the year, and his life was changed because he had an attitude of gratitude. It took the focus of what was happening in his life and allowed God to shift the focus to where it needed to be. So my challenge is seven days of writing down what you are grateful for, where you see God at work, writing down what you are grateful for. That's for able. Phone a friend, connect with someone. And then my other challenge is, once you've done that, take it further. Take it to your staff room. Take it to your uni group. Take it to your group of friends. Do it over lunch. But connect with other people and praise God for the goodness that he has done in your life. Father God, we want to thank you so much for all that you do for us, the way you love us, the way you choose us to do amazing things to represent you. And God, sometimes that is under big lights and sometimes that is quiet, courageous obedience and sometimes it's just sitting in a space and looking for you at work and acknowledging who you are. For whatever season you have called us to be in, God, we ask that we will never stop seeing you and being grateful for your power and your mercy and your love. Lord, My prayer today is that as we've looked at this chapter in the Bible, that we will recognize you, that we will feel a response, a calling to be more like you, and that we will have a chance and be inspired to make this a relevant message to the people around us. In your name, amen. Thanks, Sarah.